of Philippians, the first chapter. This um, got in my soul. I didn't really realize what it was doing to me, and then I began to exhort to men's prayer a couple weeks ago, and things started coming out, and I said, oh my, this is, uh, this is in me, Lord. So God began to show me some things, and I, I just want to say that this letter is being written all the way in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. That's where this letter is finally being penned. You say, what do you mean, Brian? I'm saying that Acts encompasses all of the New Testament largely. And the letters that went to the churches were written throughout the book of Acts. But almost the entire book of Acts has been fulfilled when this letter is penned and Paul is writing from prison. We're going to begin in Philippians 1.9. The scripture says, in this I pray, Paul writing to the church, that your love may abound yet more and more. Someone say how. Someone say how. In knowledge and in all judgment. Now we don't immediately associate knowledge and judgment with love. But this is what Paul is saying to the church. I want your love to abound in knowledge and in all judgment. Somebody say why. That ye, verse 10 says, may approve or that you may test things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense. That means that there would be nothing in you that would offend anybody else till the day of Christ. And verse 11 goes on to say, that's not all, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. In other words, the righteousness comes only from him, and then any glory that is because of the righteousness belongs to him. Hallelujah. Paul reminding us even in his prayers and his writings that everything about our walk with the Lord is progressive. We are never idle. There's always more. Someone say God is a God of more. We're going to skip forward to Philippians 1.21, very familiar text. And Paul writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. As, as, as he's writing here, he's saying, if I'm going to be alive, it's going to be Christ in the earth. And if I'm going to pass on from this life, it's going to be my own gain. Skipping down to the first part of verse uh, 27 in the first chapter of Philippians. Only, someone say only. Only let your conversation, in the Greek, that word conversation meaning lifestyle or behavior, let it be as becometh the gospel of Christ. Becometh. In other words, let it be worthy or let it be appropriate in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I'll be the first to say that this is probably a curious text this, easy, uh, this evening that I've taken. But by the help of God, I want to go back and look at what was transpiring in the life of Paul that could ever bring us to a place where these principles and these perspectives could be pinned. And, and by the grace of God, I'd like to minister to the church on this thought, spiritual inertia, spiritual inertia. This won't be complete or exhaustive, and hopefully it won't be exhausting either. Hallelujah. But if you will, would you join me? Let's pray that the Lord would visit us here in this place. Father God, we have already felt your presence. We know that you are here. And now we are here, Father, your children, the ones that you love, God. And we are in need 
of the faith that comes by the hearing of the word of God. And we are in need, Lord Jesus, of your word to be written upon the tables of our heart, God, that we might not sin against you, Lord. And we are in need, Father, of that faith, Lord, that would change our tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, I pray that your word be in my mouth. Let it come forth pure, Lord. Let it come forth clean and unadulterated, God. And we give you the glory in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus. Somebody praise him again. Hallelujah. 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 Turn to your neighbor as you're seated and say spiritual inertia. Spiritual inertia. Amen. And while you ponder that, I am going to open this water. Thank you for giving me that brief reprieve. Inertia, I-N-E-R-T-I-A. Sounds like inertia, but it's inertia. A number of years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, I was with uh, four couples. I was one of the couples, three other couples, and each of us with our spouses, uh, friends of mine and spouses. And we had determined that we were going to go skiing and, and this decision, uh, we did not know that, that it was really what the beginning, uh, what, what would ensue and what would come from that was just hilarity. But um, at least five of us had never donned snow skis before. I should clarify, snow skiing, not, not water skiing. And um, it may have been seven of the eight of us had never put on skis, but I have one friend that was in the group, a minister whom I love very much. He's a dear friend of mine. He's a rather large individual, um, and, and he, he was not really thrilled with the prospect of anything that was happening. Um, slick, snowy ice beneath him, a skinny, you know, elongated blade beneath each foot, um, and, and really an unfamiliar experience to say the least. And so we, we did uh, what you do to become all pros, and you go off to, to get some instruction, and, and you hear the instructor tell you exactly what you need to do to, to spare your own life as you're skiing for the first time. And they teach you incredible principles. They say things like, if you need to stop, make pizza. That got my friend's attention, hallelujah. So, and, and the idea was you would cross your skis for anyone that ski, and that would bring you to a stop. If you believe that. Well, that's the idea anyway. And if you need to turn, then you were to cut this way and you, and you would go the opposite way and all, all, all these principles. Well, we went through the, the little crash course in ski school and we were there afterwards and, and uh, we were pretty, pretty wide-eyed and wondering, now do we really get on a chair that takes us up a mountain? Are we really to that point, and then we're just going to come on down. And as we were there discussing and joking and, and uh, you know, just enjoying the experience, my friend began to just drift. I don't know how to explain it other than he began to physically move without doing anything in his person. And as he was there, he began to just move slower than the pace of a walk, really. But he began to separate himself from us. And he found himself gliding down this 
general area where people were coming back and forth and to and from the slopes, and he was paralyzed there. But there was a frictionless state that was created as gravity pulled him down, but there was ice beneath him, and the blades were smooth, and so he began to move. And as he moved, he looked back at us as if to say, somebody save me. But we were all just glad it wasn't us. And so we could do nothing for him, really. And ultimately, some 40, 50, 60 feet down the way, he encountered a force that enabled him to stop. And it was there in a crowd of about four women that he found himself arms outstretched, apologizing profusely as he came into the embrace of a stranger. Okay. Brian, that's a cute story. What are you saying? I'm saying that inertia had its perfect work in the earth in that moment. A frictionless state, an object that was in motion stayed in motion until it was acted upon by an outside force. We understand physical inertia to some degree. We understand that this Young man, Sir Isaac Newton was supposedly, and this has been debunked, so if you've believed it, I hate to crash your party, was sitting under a tree one day and an apple hits him in the head and then he, it, it, it evidently you know, creates all sorts of brilliance and he becomes a master physicist and the laws of motion are born from his experience. In fact, history teaches us that he really just observed an apple falling and he began to contemplate it. But he came up with these laws of motion. Laws of motion. I said it once, I'll say it again. Law number one is an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted upon by an external or an outside force. This law is often called the law of inertia. And for simplicity's sake, I'm going to categorize every external force tonight as simply friction. And we can observe inertia in human movement and in sports. Uh, we were eating in the Mexican restaurant uh, uh, this afternoon, and they had soccer on. And, and, of course, you know, between all the flops and everything that goes on in a game that I don't really understand, I, I, I definitely saw inertia at work as bodies would collide and as different plays would unfold. And we can observe uh, inertia in mechanical operation and even in nature and in a host of practical everyday occurrences. But inertia is not limited, church, to the physical realm. There are rules in relationships. There is relational inertia, if you will. The way a marriage would develop or progress or regress. The way that a marriage or a relationship takes a specific course. Friendships have inertia. Business relationships have a certain inertia about them. Long-standing relationships, relationships that are in motion, they stay in motion until that fateful day when an outside force would come and when friction would be created. And when competition would might, might, might come onto the scene or, or there's a failure to perform or to meet some expectation. And these all impact relational inertia. In my career and in my everyday uh, job, I'm very, very acutely aware of this relational inertia. We do things and we make account plans and we try to understand the political landscape and what the competition might be doing. But I didn't come here tonight to talk about any of that, but simply to just set the stage. Because I want to submit to the church 
tonight that there is a very real and there there is a very present spiritual inertia that exists all around us. It exists in us. It propels us and it sets things in motion. Things of the Spirit. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. As Paul is writing to us even from prison in Philippians 1, he's writing from a place of great spiritual inertia. On the, on the surface you might say, Brian, how can that be? He's in prison. But friend, please understand there is a work that has transpired in Paul's life. There is a work that has transpired in the New Testament church. They are now an object in motion. And even as this man is surrounded by walls and by bars, there is great inertia within the church. There is a spiritual inertia. What did it look like? From the very moment in Acts 2 where the Holy Ghost was poured out, they continued daily. Someone say daily. Daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart and the Lord added to the church daily and daily in Acts 5 they were in the temple and in every house and they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ and Acts 16 says and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily hallelujah I'm talking tonight about a spiritual inertia Acts 17 records Paul and Silas coming to Berea to begin to witness to the Jews and there they find many that are converted and that believe. The Bible tells us these that believe receive the word with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily. There was inertia in their life. Paul wrote to Corinth and he said I die daily and he's showing us a picture of what it means to have spiritual inertia. We're in the scripture. We're breaking bread we're witnessing we're receiving glory we're repenting and dying daily and there is inertia in the church hallelujah hallelujah glory to god first corinthians 15 31 i referenced it i protest by your rejoicing which i have in christ jesus our lord i die daily there is there is something in me that must be crucified each and every day paul admonishes the church in hebrews exhort one another daily hallelujah while it is called today i'm talking about spiritual inertia in the early church and through it all preaching to the Gentiles. Paul and Silas imprisoned and then delivered. Preaching in Thessalonica. Debating and exhorting and discussing on Mars Hill. Preaching in Corinth. Seeing godly visions. Apollos coming on the scene and and bearing a son in the spirit, Timothy. The Holy Ghost being poured out by the laying on of hands. Preaching in Macedonia. Eutychus being raised from the dead. Philip's daughters prophesying. Paul apprehended and even in custody yet testifying and preaching of his miraculous conversion, preaching Christ while in custody, shipwrecked, and now in prison. It would seem in the natural that the object in motion had been stopped. It would seem in the natural that there was a containment and perhaps Paul was now cornered, but we are talking about things not physical, but spiritual. And there is no physical prison that can contain the work 
of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Spiritual inertia changes everything. Hallelujah. It yields in you and in I a holy progression. Our friend, Brother Newton, he went on to tell us about law number two. In law number two, (laughs) I almost said the scripture. In law number two, Brother Newton's writings tell us the acceleration of an object. That is to say the momentum or the progression is directly related and proportional to the force that is acting upon it. Y'all look like you've been in church since early this morning. Hallelujah. I'm here to tell the church that there are spiritual laws that parallel physical laws, but they exceed physical laws because the deck is stacked in the favor of the believer. Hallelujah. Because God is always bigger and God always has a plan and God always delivers and God can when nothing else can or will. God is able. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The power of the Holy Ghost is the catalyst. It is the force. It is the acceleration and it is the momentum of the church hallelujah but ye shall receive power after that which the holy ghost has come upon you power to do what power to get an accolade power to prosper and to be rich no 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 no. power to be my witnesses where will you be my witnesses everywhere i'll give you the power to do it i will be the force hallelujah jesus christ in us alive in us the power of the holy ghost paul and the apostles and the believers in the New Testament church and you and me, we are and we were, they were and we are operating in a realm of spiritual inertia, in a realm of spiritual acceleration. How? By the power of the Holy Ghost that would thrust us into progress, that would thrust us into progression. Hallelujah. What does progress look like? It looks like reaching forth under those things which are before. What does progression look like? It looks like pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high falling of God in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now that alone, that alone is a powerful testimony, a powerful understanding. And when we consider this in light of Paul's writings, we begin to understand the tenor of his letters. We begin to understand how he's always esteeming the idea of progress. We begin to understand How he says things like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me, if I'm going to be on the earth, hallelujah, I'm going to walk in the light as he is in the light. For me, if I'm going to have breath in my body, my hands are going to heal, hallelujah. For me, if I'm going to be vertical, I'm going to declare the glory and the wonder and the power of Jesus Christ and the great conversion that he has wrought in me. But if I die... I'm the winner. How many of you can say that is really, in a nutshell, the mentality of the church? Our coworkers. I've been close, I've been up close and personal with death of late. 
I know what it's like to have a grieving wife say to me, I understand, Brian, that I need to put my faith and trust in God, but I don't want God. I want my husband. Is that fair? A very human response. I can understand and I can empathize. But I want to tell the church that there is a place that Jesus Christ wants to draw us into where we see the passing of this life as nothing but gain. Hallelujah. You say, what about my children? What about eternity? Hallelujah. You say, what about my job? What about eternity, church? I'm telling you that God left this planet and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for who? For you. That's who he's going to prepare a place for. And we thumb our noses at Jesus Christ and we say, oh God, I don't want to enter in there. But what he has reserved for us on the other side, no tongue can tell. You say, Brian, do you believe it in your heart? I believe it with everything in my being. And the end time revival that is upon us is going to require believers that have confidence and faith that the glory that is before us far exceeds any glory that we have beheld. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Now as we talk about spiritual inertia, I would be remiss if I didn't remind us that there is another spiritual force that is not that of inertia, but that works in opposition to inertia. It's an outside force. Again, I'm going to call it friction. Someone say friction. Right now, as the word of God is in our hearing, doubt works to exalt itself in the mind and in the spirit. Fear grips us as we consider this circumstance and that prospect. That's exactly right. Indifference creeps into our souls and into our spirits as we have grown so familiar the voices of truth. Come on. I'm telling you right now that there's a love that creeps into the believer's life for this life and for this world and for carnal things. And these are friction. These are friction. These carnal hellish constructs are engineered against a spiritual inertia. They are the sum total of the extended family of devices and spirits that are bent to create friction in your life and friction in mine. You see, friction is that element that causes the gears to grind that creates a melting and a searing heat that element that will stop an object that is in motion friction is caused when something is just a little bit off when there's a little contact that shouldn't exist then friction begins to form I'm going to say that again. When there's contact that should not exist, friction begins to form. I read in the paper just this past week, clearly not a paper printed on trees, right, or made from trees, but an electronic publication, that the land speed record of an exotic car was broken again just this past week. 277.9 miles an hour, a production exotic car was clocked not once but twice, on a Nevada highway that was shut down for the test. 277.9. It's pretty cool. So, what is the object of every engineer that is there on site? Eliminate friction. If we're going to break the record, 
we have to get the drag coefficient as close to zero as we can. If we want to be successful and outpace anybody else, if we want to go where no one else has gone, if we want to see the results that no one else has seen, we've got to eliminate the friction. Eliminate the friction. I have a, uh, a small boat, and I was towing the trailer one day, and inside the trailer, the hub of this trailer, I'm not an engineer. I tried that. I dropped out. There are these bearings that are inside this, this, this whatever it's called, already, the hub. It looks like little BBs. And something got in there. Something small. I don't know what it was. It could have been a grain of sand. It could have been lint. But whatever it was that got into this sealed unit, and maybe it was there from the beginning. But it came to a point where it created enough friction that things began to heat up and they began to expand until finally the seal on that hub blew and the BBs went flying everywhere. And unbeknownst to me, there was a man on a motorcycle that was following me that began to get pelted essentially by what is like birdshot. And he went off the road into a ditch on his beautiful Harley Davidson. He lived there was another man, and he had, he had within his grill and, and down within the air dam of his vehicle little holes that had, had, had been produced by all of these little BB-like bearing components that flew out of this hub just because friction developed. Friction developed. Come on, church. Come on. Satan knows that if he can create friction, that if he can slow down the object that is in motion, if he can create friction in your faith, if he can create friction in your living, if he, if he can create friction in your, in your giving, if he can create friction in your, in your servitude, my God in heaven, it happens so subtly. It happens in just the most amazing way. But friction is the enemy of spiritual inertia. And it happens to you and I. It's part of the human condition. It wasn't many weeks ago that young people had filled these chairs. This is not an indictment on young people. I'm coming after you and me here in a minute. They'd just gotten home from a stadium filled with tens of thousands of young people. And you can look at the posts that went on Instagram and that were on social media. They were sold out. Nothing's going to stop us now. World, I've got you by the tail. Satan, get thee behind me. You are under my feet. And in the course of just a few short weeks that bled into months, those same individuals posting prophetic utterances of victory, posting things that lend themselves toward carnality and toward defeat. You say, Brian, why, why, why would you call out our precious young people? I'm not calling out precious young people. I'm talking about friction. What happened? What happened? What happened? Brother Newton said an object in motion stays in motion until acted upon by an outside force. He went on to say that the acceleration and the momentum of an object is caused by a force that is applied to it. I know that my God is big and I know that my God is able. Hallelujah. And I know that the work that he begun at Youth Congress was real. But what happened? Friction comes in subtle ways. 
subtle ways. Friction comes in relationships. Friction comes in the voices that become familiar to us. Friction comes in the way that we allow habits to form. When all of a sudden, just because there's idle time, my thumb reaches the flip and it reaches the scroll and my eyes behold this and they behold that it's just a habitual response but it's friction in the spirit when God is trying to capture my attention I'm already arrested because there's friction that's stopping the spiritual emotion and it happens in my life and it happens in your life my God in heaven what would happen <laughs> What would happen if the object in motion would stay in motion? What would happen if we were quick to say, I feel friction? Somebody, somebody get the oil. Somebody pray through with me one time. I've got to get the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon me to stop the friction that is in my life, in my walk, and in my talk. My God in heaven, that I would seek after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And it's not a message of condemnation, but it's one to reveal to us that the friction that a lost world and that a predatory culture and that carnality creates in the life of the believer is real. Did God change since youth congress? Let's all stand. Did God change since youth congress? Come on, church. Did God change since he said, let there be light? Did God change since he said, it is finished? Hallelujah. Did God change? I say no a thousand times. No. He is able. He is ready. He is here. He is willing. He is powerful. He is looking for a church that will be sold out to him, that will not allow friction to develop in their walk with him. Hallelujah. In my life as an adult, regardless of demographic, regardless of age or income or phase of life, child of God, I've got to inventory my routine, inventory my actions, inventory my relationships, and go ahead and label them. You know how you, you have a garage sale, you get the little blue stickers and the red stickers or the yellow, and you say $5, $10, go ahead and say, this is friction. I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and label it. And this is acceleration. Hallelujah. And, I'm gonna, and this is friction over here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and delete it because it's friction. I want to tell the church today that God desires to draw us into the same place that Paul was in. Not the prison. No, 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 no. But the place of power and of victory. Glory to God. A place of revival and conversion. A place of testimony. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to see the sustained work of the Lord in my life. You don't even need to know that. But I'm telling you anyway, I'm hungry to see the sustained work of the Lord in my life. Glory to God. Because there's dimensions that I've approached and then friction caused me to pull back. And there's dimensions that I saw and I almost felt, but friction came and, and somehow I was, I was hindered. But oh God, would you let me flourish in my faith, Lord, to run the race that is set before me with patience, God, that I would know what it means to be a conqueror. Hallelujah. So to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. It's not by works. No, no, no. 
It's, it's not by might. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it's in our action. It's by his spirit, and that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what spiritual inertia is all about. It's about the spirit of omnipotent God alive in me. There can be a holy inertia that propels this church through circumstance into promise, through turmoil, into revival, through every ungodly attack of the enemy, into victory, from glory to glory to glory in the name of Jesus. What could I say tonight on a Sunday night with pastor sitting on the front row, half of us bitter that he could sit there and not preach to us? To just get one, two, maybe three folks that say, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm going to be the friction police in my home. Hallelujah. Oh, my God in heaven. Hey, hey, let me tell you something, church. It ain't easy. Did I give anyone that impression? I've tried it in my house. My wife and I, a couple weeks ago, we said we want, we want Christian music on every day before the kids are up and when we go to bed. We just want it playing. It can be in the background because God help us. But just what if the song that got stuck in your head you didn't even know was playing and somehow in between this period and that, I am so now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's go ahead and, and let's see if we can reduce the friction. Let's see if we can reduce the friction. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and we're going to turn this off. Well, here comes the idle moment. Well, what do you do when you filled your time for years with this show and with that show? How you doing? Hey, I'm being real. I'm being real. But the church is left paralyzed. Oh. My God in heaven, by the friction that the enemy of our souls has created in our relationship with Christ. And it is a spiritual crisis. It is a spiritual crisis. And it robs us of the blessings of the Lord. This relationship, that activity, this media, that song. Paul said, I keep my body, that is to say my flesh, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I'm up here preaching and hollering at everybody else, I myself should become a castaway. I have to look for areas of friction. Jesus said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Pay attention. You hear something squeaking? You see smoke starting, a tendril of smoke starting to come up somewhere? Do you understand what I'm saying? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is truly ready and willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch what Paul writes in Romans. Let this be heard in your, in your hearing. I, for, I, I ask you to forgive me for all the yelling. I tell myself every time I preach, I'm not going to yell. There's a yelling spirit in this pulpit. Hallelujah. Everybody all right? Romans 10.1, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is. Okay, this is getting real. I'm going to say it again. My heart's desire and prayer. This is a man filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. He's telling us his heart's desire and prayer that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They're a zealous people. 
but not according to knowledge. Where does the zeal come from if it's not born of knowledge? Knowledge comes from experience. Chapter 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, ignorant, they've ignored it, either consciously or subconsciously, they're unaware of God's righteousness, and go about to establish their own righteousness. Are y'all with me? This is some thick stuff. Romans 10, 1, we're in verse 3. And going about to, oh, you got it on the screen, praise the Lord. And going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. When I read the scripture this week, I had to go back and pour over it again and pour over it again. And if we do what we need to do, I had to look at myself through the lens of scripture. Lord, I have a zeal for you. I like to dance and jump and apparently scream. Yeah. But is it according to my knowledge of you? Or in spite of how righteous you are, have I in my own mind decided what is right and wrong and I have pursued you in and on my own terms? Is it possible, church, that my zeal, that my praise is not according to knowledge? It may even be sincere and it may even indeed, uh, even indeed be warranted. It may be a warranted response that comes in the form of emotion when in the presence of God. But we must submit ourselves not only to emotion but to the righteousness of God. That which is right. Do you know what's right about God? Everything. He's all, all right. Amen. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be real transparent. I don't want to be part of a fantasy apostolic church. See, if we have any fantasy football, well, they're probably not here on Sunday night, but if we have any fantasy football team managers, <clears throat> self-ascribed. <laughs> Here's the thing about fantasy football. The fantasy football team is one that causes you to revel in what could be. It causes you to revel in the prospect of what might happen. You can get very zealous over something that has no real future and no real power to dominate in any actual arena. It's only good in a fantasy. And there's nothing wrong with that in football. But the church needs to be careful because the problem with a fantasy football team is that it's a team that will never take the field. That team is never going to come together and wear one jersey. That team is never going to play under the management of one individual. 
That team will never face an opponent. It's a fantasy. And it feels good. And we high five about it. And we get excited about it. Because we scored all the points and we set all the records, but there was never even a game. Now, for those of you that don't play fantasy football, hopefully you gathered enough in my explanation to understand this. I love my church. And I love the church at large. And Lord, let your love for the church be born in me and increase every day. But I fear that too often we have a fantasy church experience. A lot of commotion and a lot of noise about what could be. About what God could do. About how he might move. And about a power that we have in fact often denied in our daily living. My God in heaven. For all I know it doesn't even bother Satan when we're having that kind of church. Because it's representative of a church that will never take the field. Because the words that cross my lips on a Sunday will fall silent on a Monday. Because the power that I profess and proclaim on a Sunday isn't manifest at United Dairy Farmers to the soul that God put upon my heart that is at the checkout counter on a Tuesday. Can I be real for just a moment? Hallelujah. I want to be part of a movement. I want to lead in a movement. I want to experience a movement. Hallelujah. That is set in motion. Glory to God. That is frictionless. Glory to God. That God has moved upon and made effectual in the earth. Glory to God. That signs and wonders might follow them that believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know it's uncomfortable. I'm not up here enough to worry about it. You'll forget next time I'm up here. Hallelujah. Where does this come from? And I know it's 7.30. We're going to push on. There is a misunderstanding in the body of Christ of what it means to be the church. I'm glad pastor's here. He can clean up everything that's about to happen. There's a misunderstanding of what it means when someone talks about spiritual inertia and how it works. The word church in the New Testament is in the Greek, ecclesia, the ecclesia. It is never used to describe the temple. It is never used to describe the synagogue. But we know that when it is used, it is described as an entity that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. The Ecclesia. This word in Greek culture, Ecclesia, was used to describe a civilization as in a group of citizens that are tied to a government. This word Ecclesia is a citizenship and a government. And this was such a known and understood fact in Greek culture that it literally bled into Roman culture. And Roman culture, by the extension of Greek culture, historians teach us that within Roman culture there existed, hear me now, what was known as the conventus. Someone say the conventus. 
Now, I'm going to define for you Conventus according to my research. It was, in fact, the Roman ecclesia in a microcosm. Hear what the writer says. When a group of Roman citizens, as small as two or three, does that language sound familiar? Gathered together anywhere in the world, the Conventus was constituted. It existed right then and right there. In other words, their citizenship automatically brought the power and the presence of Rome into their midst. It didn't matter where they were. If they were a citizen of that city, then all of the power and authority of Rome existed where they were gathered. And in fact, it was as if the emperor himself was there in their midst. My God in heaven. I know y'all knew this. You learned it in Sunday school. But see, I didn't. So you're just going to have to give me my moment. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name. That's where the ecclesia is. Right there, I will be in the midst of them. It had nothing to do with a physical building. It had nothing to do with an edifice. It had to do with the children and the citizens of a certain kingdom. Oh my God in heaven, even the kingdom of God, hallelujah, that came together under the banner of his name. And when they did, he was there in the midst of them. And he was there mighty to save. And he was there to show himself great. And he was there to perform that which pleased him. Hallelujah. Church is not the music, and it isn't the antics, and it isn't the zeal that I demonstrate that may or may not be founded on his righteousness. It isn't just the gathering within an edifice, but it is the citizens of a government, even the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So church, take the shield of faith from this place. Take it where? Take it everywhere you go. Take it into your home. Take it into your marketplace. Take it into your junior high and into your high school take it why because faith is the hinge that the door of salvation swings on by faith the hinges through grace the door you are saved i'll say it again by faith the hinges through grace the door you are saved not just you but me not just us but them a world that is lost and undone needs to see the faith of the church lived out in a frictionless motion every single day of the week hallelujah until we come into the power of the living God. Glory to God. For as the body without the spirit is dead, James writes, so faith without works is dead also. Heaven help me. Heaven help the church to understand that my belief is much less likely to culminate into action than my action is to increase my belief. Can I say that again? My belief is much less likely to culminate into action then my action is to increase my belief. Faith increases when I am about my father's business. When I am about my father's business. Are my failures linked to the friction in my life? Is my faith overcoming the friction? Do the audit. Don't be afraid, church. Flush out the friction. 
flush it out. Hallelujah. It's not easy, but I promise it's a worthy exercise. Start it tonight. Look at your habit tomorrow morning. When I wake up and my feet hit the floor, was I mindful of the new cup of mercy that was sitting on my nightstand? When my feet hit the floor, did I consider the innumerable benefits that he loaded me with one more time? Did I remember my identity that I've been covered by the blood of Jesus and that his name has been applied to my life? Hallelujah. Let's set the trajectory for the day. Whatever friction may exist, I'm leaving the door this morning frictionless. Hallelujah. An object in motion that will stay in motion. Is it okay to ask the hard questions after 20 minutes? An hour and 20 minutes? 20 hours, 20 days on Instagram is my faith increased? Or are my imaginations exalted a hundred ways but toward heaven? When I get done binge washing that favorite show, is my mouth filled with praise? Or am I left feeling empty and estranged from the greatest gifts that God has given me? Gifts of family and love and of the Holy Ghost. After an hour in the gym, hey, you can answer. I can't. I ain't been to the gym in years. After an hour in the gym or hanging out for an evening, do I feel propelled or do I feel friction? Friction. Paul, I'm in love with your writing. Paul, I am just caught up in the wonder and the glory of what God has done and how you so eloquently let it pour from you. It's in your being. The principles and the perspectives. But Paul was a product of spiritual inertia. <laughs> You're going to let me to present that tonight? Paul was a product of spiritual inertia. Romans 8, 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live Brian, are you preaching a doctrine of works? No, but I am bringing you a doctrine of living the life of an overcomer 101. Introduction to spiritual inertia. Devil in hell, look out. I've been saved. I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind. I've cast off the old man. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm talking with Jesus. Everything changes when you and I are objects in motion, set in motion by and through the power of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Church rule number three. Isaac Newton said, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Will revival bring persecution? Will acceleration cause an equal and opposite opposition from the enemy? I got wonderful news for the church. In the spiritual law, things aren't equal. <laughs> because when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. When the wicked, mine enemies and my foes came against me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. What are you saying, Brian? I'm saying that in the spirit, we can accomplish great and mighty things. This church is on the precipice of greatness. Why do you say it, Brian? Because somebody, one body, two bodies, three, I don't know. I'm not trying to Dr. Sushi today, but it isn't going to take many that will get a hold of this thing and say, God, I'm ready to go where you're going. I'm ready for you to take me on to the next dimension. Lord, I'm buckled up. I'm sold out. I'm all in in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. This is the payload church. We're going to go back to our original text. If our musicians could come. Hallelujah. I have no expectation tonight. My expectation is of the Lord. My prayer would simply be a Holy Ghost transfusion of faith into the life of every believer, God. That, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, that you would awaken us to your desire, the untapped potential, God. Father, all of the energy that you desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, Paul is revealing in Philippians 1 a deep and powerful perspective and principle of where spiritual inertia will take you. He says, as we've already quoted, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. What is to live in the flesh? There's your, fu- your fruit. Your reward is what you've already experienced to date. This is what Paul is saying. Yet what I shall choose, I, I want not. In other words, I, I'm not sure what I really want to do. He says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. In other words, there's two choices. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. What, Paul? Seriously? You want to leave this world? You want to miss the Super Bowl party? What? What? Pastor said what this morning. I was just seeing if y'all. Hallelujah. So that's choice one. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. (laughs) He's like, Paul's saying, here's a choice, and option one is the best option, no matter how I look at it. How did you get there, Paul? How How come every little thing that comes my way, fear grips me, and I say, oh, Lord, let this not be to my death? But you are telling me that it's a far better option. And he says, nevertheless, choice two is to abide in the flesh, which is more needful for you, the church. 125, having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And here we get to 127, which has rattled me for the last few weeks. I have made it my prayer. I'd invite you to do it. And the prayer simply goes like this. Lord, only let my conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, only let my attitudes and only let my perspectives and only let my lifestyle be as it becometh the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, only let my choices, God, and only let my rising and only let my laying down let it let it be what becomes the gospel of Jesus Christ 
Can you imagine, church? Can you imagine the fulfillment of Paul's writing if our conversations were only as it becometh the gospel of Christ? That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast. Someone say in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. See how Paul's prayers as a result of spiritual inertias are a mirror of, as a result of spiritual inertia, are a mirror of Christ's prayers to the Father. Before Christ departs, what does he say? Lord, make them one even as we are one. Do you know that spiritual inertia will put you in a place of prayer where your prayers will sound just like the prayers of Jesus to the point, in fact, that he will tap you on the shoulder to pray his prayers for him? My God. The Spirit of the Lord looked for an intercessor but could find none. Spiritual inertia will put you in a place to intercede for the world. Hallelujah. To make a difference. Hallelujah. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. In nothing. In nothing. In sickness, in persecution, in nothing. And they took away my tax-exempt status, in nothing. And they said we're not allowed to gather and worship, in nothing. I will not be terrified by my adversaries because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm so convinced. I'm so convinced, Paul says. Nothing, nothing should terrify me. And do you know what this will mean to them? The scripture says this is an evident token of perdition of what's coming to them. They look at you and say they're unstoppable. They're an object in motion. And to them it is the testimony of the church. But to you of salvation and that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which he saw in me, I want you to have the same conflict, Paul says, that you see in me. I want you to know what it's like to say for me to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Oh, I want you to know, Paul says, what it's like to say it would be far better for me to be with him. But because I'm here, I'm going to be Jesus to the world. Because of here, I'm going to reach and I'm going to bless and I'm going to speak faith. And I'm going to breathe life and encourage. Let's all stand across the assembly. I kept you way too long as I am faithful to do. Hallelujah. Would somebody reach toward heaven as we sing this song? Let's ask the Lord to birth in us a holy, holy awareness of every point of friction that is in our lives, that he would give us overcoming power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost to see it removed, that we can be propelled into the glory and the greatness that God has desired for his church. Hallelujah, hallelujah.